cue motivational music. Hello and welcome to the podcast. My name's Dean and I'm a designer on a quest. A quest to further understand the creative industry and learn as much as this noggin will hold. Join me as I share my discoveries and tap into the minds of some of the most well-respected creatives in the world. This is my creative therapy. Welcome to episode 17. Today I'm joined by the super talented user experience designer Jonah McLachlan. And in this episode, Jonah and I talk about some of the best and worst examples of UX design, the psychology of social proof and how it works. We also talk about the pros and cons of focus group sessions and loads more. Things in the context, I met Jonah at a user experience training course, which he was actually teaching at. And um, it was awesome. I wasn't massively clued up on UX and I was a bit of a noob to the subject, to be honest, but I um, I learned loads and it, it wasn't just the, it wasn't just the subjects that you were covering that made the course so interesting, but it was the way you kind of delivered the, the presentations and the exercises. Um, I've sat through some pretty boring courses and that was definitely not one, <laughs> which is awesome. Uh, when did you realize that UX is something that you wanted to get into? Yeah, Dean. So thanks for having me. And this is kind of a weird parent-teacher thing going on here, or I, uh, like, or not, not there, but like t- teacher-pupil or whatever. But um, no, that's cool, man. Yeah, um, I, I think I really got a passion for UX, and the topic um, was when I was doing my uh, internship at the University of Edinburgh. And at the time, there just was a really poor services that a lot of the students were just complaining about. Nothing was really being done, and so specifically for my team and the sort of we were managing I was just really passionate about actually talking to some of these students and trying to see what I could do to improve it and so yeah from there it just started I spoke to over 2,000 students and teachers and I yeah it just turned my perspective from just doing code and making websites to thinking okay what about the experience and so that that kind of really kick-started my entire career to change my university degree to change and so, yeah, um, I guess I'm an evangelist. <laughs> so it was it was coding that you got into first? Yeah, like my degree was software engineering, you know, so oh, right, okay. I, I was really getting into that, you know, with just like programming languages and um, yeah, UML databases, like it was it was hardcore. Yeah. Yeah, mate. I mean, um, I've tried dabbling in a bit of code in the past and it is just... It, it just doesn't bode well for me, to be honest. Um, I think it's like a different skill in itself, you know, like uh, there's a lot of talk around sort of designers should learn code. They should definitely learn code and stuff. But at the same time, I kind of see it as two separate, two separate sort of unique uh, skills. I mean, it's great if you can combine the two together and, yeah. you know, you're, you're really good at those two things. But yeah, I used to work with a friend who used to code and I just used to sit and, sit and watch him just literally just, type in and he was sort of envisioning uh what it is that he was creating without actually looking at anything visual and it was yeah it was it was weird but yeah i had so much respect for him so was the rule was that sort of like the was the rule was that element of you know always wanted to create like a better experience for something like is that something that you you grew up wanting to do yeah um it, it's a weird one 
Um, I, I guess when I think about my obsession with technology, it started when I was probably just around 12. And I just ha I just loved exploring all the weird settings of Windows XP from my dad's computer. <laughs> and I, I guess from there, uh, my cousin actually recommended that I get into C Sharp. So I was like, okay, yeah, this is awesome. I can actually write code and create little apps that do things. And my favorite bit actually, if I think back, was actually around the, the UI, you know, dragging yeah. a button, changing the colors. And, and from there, I, I, I guess that was really when, and this sounds really cheesy, but like I really fell in love with the interface. And then in C Sharp in Visual Studio, if you double click a button, you can then add your code to it. So it's like, okay, okay. so when the button is clicked, it does something. And so I just <laughs> literally just did that so many times. It like pop up messages saying hello, all those sort of things I just really, really enjoyed uh, bucking awesome. about with. So yeah, I, I think for me, just really passionate about not just, I, I, I guess it's about bridging the gap between servers and computers and APIs. Yeah. And I guess I see myself as fitting on that bridge to connect to the world of the humans. Uh, and they're completely different experiences. And I guess I see my role, whether that's technical or whether that's just through doing research, just bridging the gap, you know, so that it's not a foreign, like, have you ever seen old people or like your grandparents or even your parents working with technology? You can just see that bridge is just so rocky, you know, people falling off the bridge and stuff. It's just like not a good experience for them. So, yeah, I, I guess that's where I position myself. <laughs> that's awesome, no, man. Have you ever tried um, experimenting with a Raspberry Pi? Raspberry Pi? Uh, yeah. See, I just see that as just a little too nerdy for me. Like, And I'm sorry <laughs> if I'm offending the uh, listeners here, but no, I, no. it's just never interested me. The hardware side of things, really boring. I, yeah, I, yeah. Y yes, you can program and things like that, and I'm, I'm sure I could give it a good go, but... I don't get satisfaction from connecting in sensors or like, you know, I don't know, like, mm. I, I just, it just doesn't turn me on in a weird way. <laughs> no, that's true, man. I mean, yeah, when I was looking at sort of all this code and stuff, I um, came across the Raspberry Pi and I was wondering how far you could push it. And it, it just kept reminding me of the, um, did you ever watch Wallace and Gromit? <laughs> when yeah, um, yeah. everything was just, you know, synced up to whatever sort of computer and you know he fell through the ceiling into his uh work trousers yeah then he walked in the kitchen and the toast just flew across the room onto his plate and then jam. yeah yeah <laughs> oh, that was great i love it that's so cool yeah. so um but yeah man i mean I've, I've got a bunch of questions and i'm keen to get your sort of opinion on them and and see what you sort of think a subject that comes up quite often is whether or not you need uh a decent qualification to get into the design industry. Mm. Um, do, do you have any thoughts on uh, whether this um, this argument has any legs, and or whether people can be as successful in the you know in the creative industry without such qualification? Dean, it's it's a contentious point. I think yeah. when you start to break away from the traditional way of hiring, you 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 end up with this sort of question of you know is it experience or is it education that we prioritize and i had a friend who had the similar conversation with me and he just says who do you want to build your house do you want someone who can actually like lay bricks and has got 10 years experience of that or do you want someone who's got like 10 years of experience of reading about how to lay bricks but has never done it in his life and 
this this was an interesting point around like where I decided in my own career to think, okay, I need to stop doing academia because I'm learning three times the amount when I'm actually at the desk working. Mm. So I, I think because we're such a practical um, discipline, in a sense, it is like bricklaying, where if you have an eye for design or you have a, a, an eye for being creative, I don't think you can teach that in a classroom, really. Yeah. Um, the, but in terms of um, specializing, I guess, so um, whether you're going down the research route or the more, um, I guess, design theory or you know architecture you know there are sort of specialities that you can do so psychology you can specialize in or things like that but mm. if it's just creating websites uh, you know if it's just creating like designs or like logos and things like that it's just through trial and error in my yeah. opinion it gets yeah, different when you're hiring maybe but no totally man. I, I i completely agree i used to work with a a, a guy at the at the last place i worked at and he was 16 years old and he came into the firm, the only one without, um, you know, a qualification like a degree. And I remember people at the time thinking, you know, he's on the same salary as us. And I think they had to, somehow they, they couldn't employ him full time legally. They had to bring him in as an apprentice or something um, just to make things legal. I can't remember how, uh, how the whole thing worked, but his um, his level of skill was through the roof. Yeah, and yeah. I used to look at his work and just think, oh my God, like this this guy is, you know, 10, 10 years younger than I am and he's knocking out work for some of the biggest brands in the world. Um, and yeah, he was loving it, absolutely yeah. loving it. So there's definitely... There is definitely that argument there, and it's a it's a real interesting one. It's, it's interesting, Dean. Like I've seen some of the more trendy companies, you know, the the ones that have enviable office culture and things like that. Um, yeah, they I've seen quite a lot of them drop the requirements for degrees, and but that's just not something that they even take into account. And I'm sure it helps, but I I just I just can't really. Uh, unless it's done well, I, I can't see the the link sometimes between the theory and the practice. And yeah. I and I think people should be hiring you on the merit that they're passionate. Like the friend you're, you're talking about, you know, he 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 was good, so hire him. It doesn't matter how many bits of paper he has. Yeah. I and I can't take this um this kind of school of thought to any other part in the world. You know, to law, you can't say that. You know, you have to have you know to to medicine. You know, you can't just say, oh, just experience and trial and error you can't do that but i think with the design world and definitely development you just got to do it <laughs> yeah if you were to take accounting into consideration right. you know that's obviously a skill that requires lots of you know learning and, and practicing of, of numbers which could yes. probably be done in a sort of a schooling environment where as, as something is hands-on and you know i, I find I think creativity is one of those things where you can't necessarily teach it. It doesn't come from a textbook. You might get a few tips and tricks on how to do certain things, right. but the overall, you know, the the enthusiasm and the the sparks of ideas that you might have don't necessarily come from that classroom environment. But then at, again, at the same time, for me personally, I mean, I learned so much through, through uni and I was saying this to someone else the other day, but I kind of... Not just not only did I learn more about the subject that I was uh, in, but I learned a lot about myself as well. On you know 
learning how to live independently and th- those sort of things. So I guess there are sort of pros and cons of both, but yeah. it's a it's a it's an interesting subject, and yeah, I love love talking about it. But I, I'm I, um, I'm a weird one, Dean. I'm a weird one. Like I worked full time throughout the last two years of my degree. Like I was working as a web developer when I was doing my honors degree and stuff. So I I really, and maybe it's just university, uh, I don't know, or maybe just the way I'm wired and just weird that way. So it, it totally depends. I think, like, what was your what was your degree title? Oh, it was a bit, of a bit of a mouthful. It was, the official title was Graphic Communication with Typography. That was yeah. the, but I mean, you know, it was graphic design. That's what it sort of come down to, um, with a little bit of typography on the side. Yeah. Um, and I yeah. think there's so much art to that, right? Whereas mm. I did web design and development. So it was literally just building websites. And, yeah. I, you know, I I was learning, I, I was working with these other students. And, you know, even the teacher themselves didn't have any commercial experience. And yeah. so I just thought, like, how, how can you really effectively teach this if you've not been in the real world and had deadlines and... Mm. I don't know. So I, I may be just a bit more biased than that way, but uh, it's a good conversation. <laughs> yeah, mate, absolutely. And it's definitely one that I could just spend hours on. Right. Absolutely hours on. But so if we um, if we pull things back a little bit to, to sort of UX and, and, you know, what it involves and what, what it is, can you give us an overview of, of what it is for people who aren't familiar? Yeah, like UX is one of those weird words that you hear quite a lot, maybe across LinkedIn and stuff like that. Um, especially talking to a designer like yourself, um, it, it gets confusing because it's like, you know, is it just about the aesthetics? You know, is it just about how it looks and feels? And, you know, is it there? Um, and, you know, how come some companies don't get it? How come developers maybe don't appreciate it or stakeholders don't appreciate it? Um, so, yeah, like, how, how do we, like, address this? Um, and I, I, I have the UX training slides in my head. So I'll, I'll move away from them just because that might be fresh for you. But user experience is just that combination of uh, what a user needs, the things that help them buy a product, the things that help them get up in the morning, um, what they need to complete the task in their day, all their goals. Uh, and it's the research practice behind that. So I guess that's where the boring research comes in. But then it's also understanding, I guess, if you're in the commercial world, understanding the business goals and then bringing that together. And I think that there is, I guess, a summary of trying to create a product. So, for example, an e-commerce website, it's a website that, yes, is selling something, but it's selling something in a really effective way. And it's just that study, that that um, dedication that you have to try and understand the user. Um, and yeah, like there's an element then when it, it it's it's the it, like if you were going to go really nerdy into this, it's just that whole experience before, after, and during use uh, during using that website. Mm-hmm. You know, during you know queuing up in the post office. You know, that's an experience that's happening there, and yeah. you know there are then things that you can do to then improve and make those needs met and also the pain points that users might have their frustrations i I, dean i don't know whether you fly much but like the best thing in the world is when you can see at an airport it's saying you know 10 minute waiting time you're just like (laughs) oh phew i don't gonna miss my flight you know that's not just put there because of like i don't know clever you know some design team decided that i'm pretty sure that's because they understood that there are tourists and you know business 
business people who want to get through security quickly and they want to like remove the and make it calm. So it's just that that study and understanding the user and giving them a better experience offline or online. <laughs> is that a, is that a it's a, like yeah, mate, that's, <laughs> that's superb, absolutely superb. I um I, I find it I find it so interesting UX because it's something that sort of um it, it's obviously attached to sort of you know design in 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 some way, but at the same time it, it's kind of it's it's everywhere yeah. at the same time. So right. like when you first wake up in the morning, how your door opens. So you know if you pull or do you push, and how the handle right. communicates that. And when you turn the kettle on, and the the feeling of turning the kettle on, and what that what that gives you is it is it yeah. a horrible click? Is it a, is it, it is a smooth click? Yeah. And then you know like the weight of the cup, you know just all these different things yeah. that are obviously taken into consideration maybe when they were being made, but the user doesn't actually understand that um, you know the, the the feeling that they're getting from it, um, and. A, a, a really interesting example uh, that I got from from your training session was the the whole example of car manufacturers really yeah. focusing on on user experience. Can you can you tell us a bit about that? Yeah, totally. Uh, it's 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 crazy because when we think about like a car, right? Um, the car just has you know power, so you can tell a cheap car from a luxury car just by the way it sounds on the road, and all of that I guess is where. If we're going to link this back to the digital world, that's like the developers. They build, uh, create performance for the products, uh, how it works. And so for like a car, it's got, you know, engine size, you know, miles per gallon, the economy, you know, all that sort of stuff, of like how the car performs and what it does. And we, I guess we just call it the functional elements there. And the, the, the thing I was trying to communicate in the slides um, for the UX training courses is saying how often there's only two parts that we really think about when it comes to like design and things like that. And it's just the aesthetics and the function. So it's like how it works and how it looks. And so the aesthetic is then just the, how it looks on the street, you know, how it looks on a showroom or on someone's driveway. You know, you can see that the more posh cars, the more like luxury cars, they tend to be a lot cleaner because you know, the aesthetics are so important for that driver to say, you know, I have wealth, you know, I am important yeah. and here's my shiny car. I have a, I have a Skoda, it's not very clean because it's just a car and I'm not driving it for the aesthetics, yeah. right? So, so all the kind of the curves and the, the, the way it, the lighting bounces off it and the type of paint and alloy wheels and all those sort of things are all part of the aesthetics. And I, the point of the course um, was saying that often when we design websites, we just focus on those two, mm. you know, making it work and just applying a bit of paint to it, making it look a bit pretty. And mm. the thing that I was saying that I guess the main point was like, you can't ignore the experience and a good consistent car has that sort of design integrity right the way through to actually when you're sat in the car and yeah popping the bonnet and as you said about the kettle you know how it feels to actually interact with that you know um and so yeah like luxury cars like a i don't know mercedes or something like that has the leather seats it's got the nice luxury feel and you just feel good driving the car and mm. often when we design apps um ux or the experience isn't prioritized it's it's just a, an afterthought or it's a oh we've run out of budget so we'll just 
we'll just hope that the users can you know get through it okay <laughs> so yeah, yeah that was the totally. car story of just that like the the story that the car tells the way yeah. that good cars are made yeah no i love it because it it just basically it's a it's a decent example of how we take sort of ux for granted i right. guess because you know you get in and out of it every day you're well for, for drivers you know you're um you're changing gear and the feeling you have when you change gear gives you some sort of feeling back and what i loved about it the most is that they they mold um they actually mold the cars first before they go ahead and build them just to see how you know like you said the the light bounces off the curves and and stuff like that before they go ahead and make it yeah so they like use clay because that's the cheap way to build cars is because with clay it's malleable you can change it whereas imagine if they like um basically and I, i'm not an auto manufacturer i don't know this ins and out but they, they they instead of going to the factory production line and just shipping out all of these big cars like it's so expensive to have a product recall but yeah. the, the way that they use clay to sort of create the car as realistic as possible, they use foil over the top. It, it's you've got to see the video. Uh, I'll maybe put that in the I don't know in the, in the description in the description or something because the the, the BMW yeah. process is just like awe dropping. You're just like wow. Yeah, yeah, it's awesome. And um, an, another example as well that I got from one of your slides was. And it was only until recently that I realized that I think his name is Michael Burett. He's a he's a partner at Pentagram Designer. He showed this on one of his talks as well. It was an example of bad UX and how bad things can really get from, you know, bad UX. And it was the example of the, the voting um, ballot oh, in, the, in the US, which eventually got George Bush elected. Um, <laughs> and... Yeah, I just thought that was great. Can you run us through that? Yeah, it's it's so incriminating this one because uh, like the way I tell the story and, and part of, part of the way I try and make UX training interesting is by making the drama. But sometimes the drama can be incriminating. But the <laughs> the simple thing around this is that um, when George Bush was kind of coming to power and stuff, um, I don't think that many Russians were involved in the hacking. There was no Cambridge Analytica. Um, yeah. involved in that sort of voting but uh, fr from from just reading the news stories and seeing what happened basically the big election was happening for bush and al gore to, to basically see who's going to become the president and i think it literally came down like if you're a fan of like um the white the white house or like uh, house of cards or something like that you you'll know the sort of the tenseness that they have before election yeah. night and yeah the whole world was watching uh, and I think it literally came down to like one state within Florida um, and it was a democratic area. So Al Gore was primed to win. But just simply because of the alignment of the sort of the boxes that you tick, they kind of like double sort of laid it out. So there's two columns of just delegates. Right. Mm. And I think it was randomized. Like it wasn't I, I, I think it was just kind of in, in sort of pecking order. But um Basically, what happened was that uh, there was an overwhelmingly like big majority of people who were um, going for Pat Buchanan, who was, I think, from the Reform Party, who who wasn't very big in the area, but he like had loads of votes just simply because of the way it was aligned. Yeah. And um, like, I don't want to get into the political conversation, but basically, you know, it, it could have been down to that form where people were, you know, putting in their votes that could have changed the course of history. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Well, I mean, you know, one form, you know, <laughs> I know it's, it's crazy. And, and to think, you know, 
not long after George Bush was elected, the um, the Iraq wars started. So right. I'm, I'm not I'm not saying that the Iraq wars uh, were because of bad UX design, but maybe <laughs> there is some sort of connection there. I don't know. Yeah, because like when we think about UX, most people think ah oh, commercial, and they just have like the pound signs in their eyes. You know, they're thinking money, money, money. But like it has huge effects on like health and social welfare. You know, um, yeah, good decisions. Um, like, um, I don't know whether this is a side note, but like currently I'm working with Belfast City Council and part of that job is to actually understand the routes that the bin men take around okay. the city. So I like next Friday, I think I'm actually going on that truck with the guys and actually interviewing them and doing stuff like that. Nice. <laughs> so, so UX of bins, you know, that's my project. And it's, it, you know, it, it's not just like making money. It's not just about the, in who, which country we're invading. It's just everyday things that we just yeah. don't think about, you know? So like if you're elderly or maybe you have a visual impairment, putting your bin out might be a bit difficult. And, you know, yeah. we live in a society where hopefully everyone can be participating and getting their bin taken <laughs> yeah absolutely man so yeah, I've, yeah. I, I've looked at things in a in a different light to be honest since um since you were doing the course in that I'm, I'm starting to look at things like completely differently now before you know just like little things like picking the remote up and thinking uh you know what buttons at the top yeah. what button should be at the top and why is it there how why is it that size you know my thumb's not that small <laughs> and it's it's just weird stuff like that, but a, dec- a really good uh, piece of UX design that I've seen a while back, he was doing the rounds on social, was done by a guy, I think his name was Darren Seneff, who designed a, a mock-up of a, of a login feature for a website. And it was basically like, he had this um, this like character above the login section. It might have been like a Yeti or some sort oh, of Oh, yeah, yeah. No, I've seen this. Yeah. And oh. is it the password thing? Yeah. Yeah. This is incredible. So, I mean, if, if you're familiar with it, could you tell us a little bit about it and what your thoughts are on it? Yeah, like I think um, there's always the two areas of design that I see on the website, and I'm just going to caveat this. So uh, there's the dribble world where there's a lot of really funky ideas, really awesome stuff yeah. that has never been in front of a human being to test with. And yeah. so often those are designed in isolation. But then there's other elements where you're like trying to really help people and they've maybe done some research. And so for people who maybe aren't familiar, like you and me, like we're so familiar with logging in every day with our websites and stuff. And so the, yeah. I think for this particular website, they, they, they created like this, I get, like avatar is it maybe or like a, a mascot mm. a mascot for the site um, mascot that's the word yeah that's the word yes and they basically got as the user is typing you had the sort of the eyes following the sort of the dots that they're typing in the password it was awesome and and then like if there was like an error it would just personalize the sort of feedback rather than it being like a you idiot you know 404 computer yeah. can't cope with this the, it, there was no kind of Dalek involved it was just a really forgiving sort of friendly bear and so in in the circumstances it worked great oh it was i I loved it absolutely loved it so was it actually live then that actually was it actually used on a live website i i'm not sure i i have a feeling it was kind of just 
designed as like a hey check this one out yeah which that's i think the impression that i got yeah yeah it's a shame but i think there would be some, like say the bear factory <laughs> as an example oh yeah man or yeah uh, pudgy bear you know anything that needs a warm fluffy animal that's fun totally. uh, awesome I love the little um, the little tick box down the bottom. So when you were typing your password in, you know, you get the option to show password for people who want to see their password as they're typing it in. Yes. Uh, when you when you go to click in the password box, he he covers his eyes, the the uh, the mascot. Ah, uh, yeah. And then if you tick the box that says show password, he opens the hand. He opens his hand, and so he's peeking through his hand to look <laughs> at the password. I just thought it was great. I thought it was awesome. Um, but yeah, that that would be great if if someone could. You know, take the idea and actually put it onto a live website. Yeah, yeah, like you say, it would have to be some sort of friendly, cuddly yeah. brand. But it humanizes um, it, you know? Like, yeah. I was saying about that bridge between humans and technology. Like, if you're not comfortable dealing with, you know, SSL certificates and secure payment gateways and things like that, you need that sort of element of uh, reassurance and trust and yeah. delight, end of the day. So, yeah, that was, it's a good example. It's yeah, been... man, I, I love that sort of stuff. And another sort of uh, decent thing I wanted to talk about, because I think we talked about it a little bit when, when we met, and um, I would love to sort of talk a little bit more. Yeah. F user feedback sessions. So uh, I've been to a user feedback session before where we created content and we sat behind a one-way mirror and we could see the um, the group react to our content and we sort of went off that and we went off what they were saying about it and it was just like a, uh, a user feedback session I guess but yeah one thing that I did notice uh, so there was about five groups throughout the day different age groups but the thing that was consistent with each age group is there was always one person within the group who would speak louder or he would make or he or she would make uh, their voice more known than others uh, and everyone seemed to gravitate towards that person. It had almost yeah. influenced their decision yeah. and their feedback. And it was kind of frustrating because we were kind of like, well, I'm not sure whether the guys I was with at the time who were watching it with me were thinking the same, but I was kind of thinking, this is annoying. You know, you're, you're influencing everyone here by being so loud, basically. Um, there's got to be some sort of psychology behind that, right? Yeah, and yeah. Yeah, Dean, like I, I've got a colleague whose background is in psychology and like if you yeah. told him that scenario, he, he would like pull out his eyes and ears and just like, oh, yeah, he, he would he would he would just curl up in, on the spot at hearing that. I, I, nice, man, it, yeah. It's well, it's, it's just a shame, you know, because like you're trying to get users to kind of give you feedback and you're trying to make changes, you know, and I think I think you, what you've spotted there is exactly what happens is that in a focus group setting people tend to just kind of just talk and if they know that they're getting a 20 pound damage voucher or something like that they're just gonna talk and they don't really care and yeah exactly this, uh, what people say and what people think and what people say that they do uh, and what yeah are just completely different um yeah and I, I think from the ux training i gave a few examples of just how people you know were offered you know like for the do you remember like the sony sort of um big sort of stereos music stereos Oh, yes, yes, briefly. So, so, so basically, they, they did like a big focus group setting with loads of different people, and they were saying, right, right, which color do you guys want? And they had kind of white, gray, and black. And yeah. everyone said gray. 
everyone just unanimously just put their hands up and said, yeah, I'd really like gray. And so as a gift, as a kind of participant thing, they were just saying like, go on your way out, just go and pick up um, any of your choice. And they had like a table of all the different colors. And guess what color everyone picked? <laughs> Black. Gray? Black. Oh, okay, right, right. Right, and it, they would, all the researchers were just like, how the heck did that happen? Because, you know, they all said they wanted gray, but the majority of them, and this is where the the real thing comes behind like doing good user research is not just by listening to what they say because humans are crazy like they they they're so irrational and they just kind of make you know mistakes and they can't remember things mm. like the best way to improve experiences for them is by observation and by understanding their behavior yeah so like see if you're like watching them use an application and you can see them getting stuck that gives you so much more insight um, you, when you can like get, get some of the experience and you can observe how they respond to that, mm. that gives you a lot more insight than just having a chat about it. Because you're right, there are more dominant people in those conversations who are just going to sway it. And, you know, more sort of passive people are just going to like, yeah, what he said. And <laughs> yeah, yeah. from a research perspective, um, I know that like they would have really strict rules about the focus group settings. But yeah. yeah let's avoid the bias yeah exactly man i mean there's there, there's obviously a market out there otherwise they wouldn't be doing so well but yeah i mean again not just with sort of design but i can't remember where i've seen it it might have been on a on a documentary i was watching it was about coffee weird i'm not sure why i'm watching a documentary about coffee it was something about coffee and they were saying that basically they give the this audience two uh two cups of coffee and they asked them to taste which one was uh, nicest right and the, the also the same one and at the end they basically were told that it was exactly the same coffee the only difference was the one that you chose had a weight at the bottom of the cup to make it heavier and again it comes down to like psychology and yeah uh you know what that sort of stuff influences like people's decisions and decision making and but no, i love the whole I, sort of uh, no sorry go on no, I, I was just going to say exactly what you were going to say. Like the, the human brain fascinates me. Like I, I was reading a book called Nudge, um, okay. which is around the theory of getting someone to do something without nice. grabbing their hand and saying, right, you're clicking here. Uh, how, how can you motivate someone to just change their behavior and things like that? So that's an awesome book. Um, that's awesome. But the, just the ideas around how you can get people to recycle more or how you can get people to... Yeah, like just just the way like the way like placebos work, like similar with the, the same cup of coffee. Those sort of things just just freak me out, you know. <laughs> yeah, it's so weird. I get it reminds me of a of another really decent UX um, example. You know the um, the whole tomato sauce. Yes, yes. Example with a with a bottle. Can you run us through that? Because that that's fascinating. Yeah. So uh, from the UX training, we talk about the ketchup. And if you don't know what ketchup is or like um, tomato sauce or whatever you want to call it, um, I, I, w there was a really interesting study done by Heinz, sort of the European company that does mayonnaise, et cetera, et cetera, and all that. Mm. They uh, did this really interesting study. And like you were saying about the sort of in-person sort of focus groups, and how sometimes they can go wrong. Like imagine if Heinz did a focus group with parents and kids and things like that. And imagine yeah. if they said, you know, how can we make the product better? 
they would have just got all these random requests in, like, oh, can you make the bottle camouflage or can you make the bottles <laughs> bigger? You know, can you reduce the sugar? And you just get random kind of non-helpful, very biased stuff, right? And, it, yeah. it, you know, it, it, it's hard to make clear decisions on that and be confident that it will sell more. And so mm. instead of doing the focus group, they actually got their researchers back in the 80s to sit and watch parents and the, the children around a meal table. And from this behavior, they were like, actually like make real like awesome insights. So um, they observed two things just really quickly. They observed that um, the children were the consumers. They were the one eating the most ketchup. And I know, thinking back to my childhood, I love ketchup. And I think mm -hmm. Dean, you are as well, maybe. <laughs> yes, absolutely. And so th that's what the researchers noticed first. And mm -hmm. then they also noticed that the parents were the ones actually dispensing that. So they then just came up with a, their sort of theory, their hypothesis. What if we can make the consumer the same person as maybe the, the dispenser? You know, what mm. if the, the person consuming and eating ketchup could be the ones that could self-serve? Because if you think back to the 80s, they had the glass bottles and they're very retro you know they're they're good fun maybe in like nando's or like a, a good english pub but actually the the squeezy bottles were what they came up with as a result of that research because they thought well if we can make it more easier than a glass bottle that you have to like hit really hard and put your knife in to scrape it all out if you can make it easier to dispense ketchup for children what if and that what if led to 12 times more sales in ketchup. Mm. And it's an awesome case study just to show the difference between like the focus group versus, you know, like actually ob observing how people behave. And yeah, that's what, that's what I love. No, man, it's, it's great. It's a, it's a great story. And it really puts emphasis on, on why UX is sort of so important. One thing that I wasn't a fan of that Heinz did was when they turned the ketchup green. Do you remember that? I don't, but oh. it sounds messed up. And do you know? What, do you know what? Do you know what that was? That was probably them chatting to some stupid parent who was like, yeah. "Oh, let's do green. Let's go eco-friendly or something," oh. uh, which which is fine, valid point. But how many sales did that get compared yeah. to the the green bottle? You know, the squeezy bottle. <laughs> exactly. Well, that's it. And it's um, it's it's just so. Oh God, I remember when it first came out, and my uncle give me some and he was like yeah you'll love it it's ketchup and i ate it and it was gross it was exactly the same thing but because it was green it was minging and you know it's, oh, it's funny yeah. how the the change just the change of color has such a huge effect on on the taste and stuff but it's the same at the minute with the um the mcdonald's plastic straws um or the the cardboard straws or whatever they're called have you have you seen all that stuff that's going oh, about at the minute well, I I regularly frequent McDonald's and I despise getting a milkshake because I basically <laughs> suck cardboard for half an hour. Oh, God. <laughs> um, That's what they're saying. They're saying it's milkshakes are the worst for these new cardboard straws because yeah. they just disintegrate because people are sucking so hard through them. And oh, I tried having one a few weeks ago, having a, um, having a milkshake through a cardboard straw, and it, it tasted different. <laughs> which yeah. is which is weird because it's exactly the same you're just using a different device to drink it from but because yeah. it had this sort of this this fluffy uh rugged sort of texture in your mouth it just felt weird 
Yeah, yeah. I'm not and, sure whether they're going to go back to plastic or it, not. It's so hard because you obviously you've got a corporate social responsibility as a company to be, you know, making sales because you're being eco-friendly. I get that, and it's easy to recycle. But yeah. you're also adding loads of friction to your users, your customers who lose trust. They like lose loyalty, and I still want milkshakes, but notice the way I behave, I take the straw out, I take the lid out, and I just drink it like a big Oh, is that what you do? Yeah, man, like, how else do you? Uh, just bring bring your own straw, you know, or whatever. But, <laughs> well, I think yeah. that's what you're going to need to do. I don't think they're going to go back to plastic straws anyway. Uh, I think I've yeah, seen an infographic earlier on LinkedIn about it. They're, um, they can't go back. They're too, they're too deep in the sustainable world now to, to take a step back and use plastic again, but... Another thing you were talking about with the, the whole focus group for, for Heinz, I was speaking to a guy called Dave Burse who wrote a book called um, How to Get Creative Ideas, I think it was called. And he said nice. he heard of a, a focus group um, that Pepper Army were in. And they were basically saying um, they wanted to use the strap line, it's a bit of an animal. And he was saying how like crazy it was that they were even considering saying it's a bit of an animal. And it, the weirdest thing was, as soon as he said it, I thought, you know what, it's just clicked. That strap line has just clicked. I get it. I Before when I heard it, I thought, um, you know, it's it's a bit of an animal. Like it sort of, it fit the persona of the of the mascot from the advert. You know, he was wild. He was, he was a bit crazy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But then when he said it's a bit of an animal, you know, being a little bit older now and it's a while since I've seen the original adverts. I was thinking, oh my God, I've just got it. It is a bit of an animal. And um, it sort of, it just made me think, wow, that's, um, it, it's crazy that they run with that. And it's a bit ballsy and fair play to them, you know? I'm sure there's a load of vegans out there sort of in the roof. <laughs> Some vegans hitting the roof anyway. Yeah, I, um, what, what I find really interesting about design is, as we've discussed, it's not just around like making money or political elections, but it, it really does and change behavior. And one thing I'm trying to get into is thinking about the ethical social responsibility that designers have. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, we're trying to like give straws, but they're rubbish and we're doing weird things around strap lines. Um, did you hear mm. about the plastic bag things? Uh, like supermarkets and the 5P charge and stuff? No, no, what's that? Mate, so this is awesome. So uh, I'm currently on the Sky News website and they've just come <laughs> back with, um, so the seven big British supermarkets um, have reduced the number of sort of plastic bags that they use by 86% since they employed it in like 2015. Okay, I think I did see something on the news about this. Yeah. So they've, they've reduced the amount of plastic by how, how much, sorry? 86%, I think, like, I, I'm wow. so bad with stats. You know, you read a headline and you're like, I'm an expert now. <laughs> but I'm pretty sure, basically, because they've added in that 5P, they basically really brought down the sale of bags, um, which is a good thing, right? Um, yeah, yeah, And so there's good and bad ways of kind of changing behavior. Um, yeah. Oh, uh, that, that's, a, that's, that's a great example. Totally. Social proof. I... Social proof is another one. Uh, just a really quick example. Um, I stayed yeah, in a hotel here. Um, I think it was the Radisson. And um, I don't know 
what you're like when you stay in hotels and stuff, but like when there's five towels stacked neatly, I'm like, I'm using all of them. I'm here for two days. I'm just going to be like throwing them on the floor. They'll get picked up later. I, I'm oh, a horrible so, person, right? You, you relax, right? You, you um, have maybe two showers and then a bath and then you want to dry your hair and then you <laughs> left one over there in the chair. So you have, yeah, anyway, so the, the environmental and economic impact this has on hotels is huge. And yeah. how do you change behavior so that you recycle and you reuse a towel or you just use one, you don't use three like I do. <laughs> how do you change behavior? So they, they did loads of different tests and I, I only came across this recently, but from them, they're trying to shift behavior. And so the way they did that was informing the, the customer of the hotel what other people are doing. And this is sort of like the social impact kind of wow. persuasion element here and so there's a simple thing on the sort of the rail saying um most of our hotel stayers I, I what's the phrase i don't know people staying in this hotel most yeah, of yeah. them only use one towel or they only use they only reuse their towels <laughs> and with that one statement it's it's so so important and it's that sort of social proof of just like making you think ah oh, well i don't want to feel left out and it, yeah. it's it's a really really interesting way of kind of changing behavior That's crazy. just with that one little thing that just says you know it doesn't say save the planet it doesn't say like you know um you're such a bad person stop making the cleaner do so much work they actually just yeah. said you know most people in this hotel only use one towel and did that and prove effective 100%. Yeah, I, I'll need to Google it here. But um, basically, wow. basically, that that had a huge impacts. Um, I think it was Radisson that did it. Um, That's crazy. Just small things can just change behavior. Um, yeah, you should totally. definitely read the book nudge like 100%. Yeah, yeah that, that, was, that was on there. I, I even got like a presentation I can send you that I did recently on it. Um, oh, absolutely. This is a, yeah. Um, yeah, that's so. It's that's that's, that, awesome. that's what makes me excited, you know. I see. I did see something. I can't remember where it was uh, in a hotel last, and I seen something on the door, and it said, um, "You know, please try and be uh, eco-friendly or whatever, and you know, think about the towels before you use them or something." I, I remember seeing it, and I was just thinking about the way the way it was worded and stuff, and it didn't make me pay attention. You know, I still do exactly what you do, and you know, you take advantage of the fact that you you don't have to clear up and stuff, which is quite bad, but it's it's what you pay for. Um, but the whole idea of social proofing is yeah. is fascinating, absolutely fascinating. Have you heard what they've started to do in Canada at the minute with um, Instagram and Facebook? No. So they've started testing, removing, um, I think it's just likes, or it might be engagement altogether, off uh, people's posts in the main feed, which is... Yeah, and apparently it's... Um, it's it's doing well it's surprisingly well like the testing i'm not sure what they're what exactly they're looking for but they've rolled it out in a few more few more areas now it might be in the us as well um but this yeah, is face facebook and instagram uh it's definitely instagram i'm not sure about facebook but it's really interesting because you know if you if you look at the whole uh like influencer business model which is pretty much based on the the amount of likes that a post gets um it's interesting to see where that's going to go if if this does go ahead hmm. which is going to be really interesting but again and yeah it's it's interesting that whole psychology behind it 
See, I would have thought that would be the completely different thing. Surely chasing likes. I, I'm just seeing this here. Uh, mm. Ireland, Italy, Japan, Brazil, Australia, and New Zealand, I think, are ones that began hiding likes. Ah, right. But, okay. Wow. There's more than I thought. Yeah. Um, That's interesting. Crazy. I, we're, you and me are both like on Google, like just Google <laughs> as we do this <laughs> webinar, uh, this uh, podcast here. Yeah, mate. That, um, that's crazy, though, isn't it? And I, I wonder. I remember Instagram went down around about three weeks. It might be longer, about four weeks ago. Something happened. There was like a glitch in in Instagram, and yeah, yeah. there was a load of follow, load of influencers who lost a shit ton of followers. Yes, and they hit the roof. They went on Twitter and they were going, "Oh my god, I've lost twenty five percent of my following on Instagram uh, after it was down and stuff." And yeah, they were literally yeah. like. I think some of them were like massively upset. Yeah. And it was quite sad in a way. Right. And, right. And, and unless you've got like a, a business deal lined up with a brand where you're selling their product and that brand has asked you to promote their product because they know how much following you've got, you know, then it's kind of slightly different, you know, when you're thinking of yeah. it as work. But when you're just an influencer putting out a, pic a pretty picture of yourself and you know you're you're crying at the fact that you're not getting as much engagement it'll be interesting to see you know how things play out maybe in the in the near future yeah yeah mm. and and this comes back to the sort of social responsibility designers have because yes we've created platforms that are you know supposed to bring communities together but when you look around the depression statistics oh, around yeah. social media the self-harm like I some, saw somewhere like one in eight 11-year-old girls around the UK self-harm wow. or something crazy. It's like really like shocking. You know, like depression statistics in Northern Ireland are so high. Like I, I kind of do this part of my role, but like yeah. these stats stick in my head because I'm like, you know, yes, Facebook is doing well. They're making loads of money. Um, you know, yes, you've got loads of likes, but you're, you're almost creating like this... Oh, really weird. So I, just as I'm saying this, I, I did some research on this just around the sort of negative effects social media has on you. Mm. And there was this research done around for those who are heavy um, users of social media, those who crave likes, those who are just can't live without it and their whole social status just relies on their Facebook or whatever. They actually noticed that um, males produced um, this specific type of hormone. Um, oh. And I believe it's the same hormone that uh, mothers develop when nurturing a child, uh, a newborn child. Uh, yeah, yeah. Like, and it, it was a, it, it, like, it was like a proper, like, research. I, I'll need a, I'll, I, I don't want to be, like, spreading fake news, but basically, no, basically no, no. it was, a, it was just a really concerning thing that they noticed that these men, uh, in particular, were, were so, like, like, literally, like, nine hours a day connected that they, their feed almost became like, a, like a child or something. And, and they developed this sort of caring, sort of um emotion there or, or something it was it was a weird read it's one of those wow. reads that you share around the office and you're like what the heck and then you never read it again um how do we, how do we fix this like what what's the solution to um making people more connected engaged making them think more you know like bill gates and steve jobs wouldn't let their kids near technology um yeah. even though they're creating this monster like what what it 
do we move to the mountains and you know get tinfoil hats on like how do we i think i think you embrace it i think we really embrace it i think um a lot of people have you know obviously scared of where it might end up but at the same time it's it's kind of like a it's evolution if the if cavemen start a fire and they were like oh shit no put it out put it out put it out and never you know it's not like they would never light a fire again they they stumbled across something that was going to change the world forever and yeah. i think social media is um it's, it's kind of similar i don't think it's going anywhere i was speaking to a, a friend at work today and we were saying imagine if later down the line there becomes a social media channel where it it knows so much about you and it's gathered so much information and what you like and your interests and what you usually take photos of and it just does it for you and it it just runs in the background of your life you don't use it you don't go on it it will like your friend's posts your friend would like your posts yeah um have you ever seen that episode of black mirror i've only seen a few they freak me out um but i can imagine (laughs) it's it's good yeah they have the cameras and all, all the community have cameras and there's this, this guy chasing this girl around with an axe. Was, was oh, it that one? I'm not sure, mate. It sounds like every episode of Black Mirror, though. <laughs> it's kind of, yeah. it, it's, all, it's all pretty much the same. It's, it's just weird, techy, futuristic. But there was this one based around social media where um, they were basing life in the future. And long story short, you couldn't get, for instance, a mortgage unless you had X amount of stars, which today yeah. would represent x amount of likes yeah there was this clip of a woman going into a bank and saying oh i need i need to borrow some money or a mortgage or something like that i want a mortgage they were saying oh we can see from your social presence that you've only got two and a half stars so she goes outside and tries to be really nice to a taxi driver or something like that because um it's like uber sort of the, the uber system when you know you can rate them they can rate you yeah i find it really interesting but to answer your question i have no idea how to yeah. fix it well, no idea you you said about that black mirror episode um around the whole element where there's that sort of system that measures and gives performance they already have that in china oh do they yeah yeah so wow. they have like this sort of social credit system like, um yeah and it's it's just what? incredibly weird so they already have that sort of element there around sort of judging products that people buy you know so it's very convenient so you can walk into a shop and it already auto suggests like things for you so that's like where technology is awesome so like you go into kfc and it recognizes your order from you know facial recognition yeah so like i i'm reading off a bbc news article here um that was written back in 2015 which is crazy um we booked a hotel last night using sesame credit and we didn't need to leave a cash deposit so you know this is just a lady telling her story around how she kind of were able to just kind of pay on this currency that is based around how good you are as a citizen you know um but like yes it will have impacts on the like if you cross the street for example they like have those cameras and that they will shame you publicly and put your face on all the billboards and stuff (laughs) did you know this no, no, what the hell? Like, it's weird. Like, we have a special dedicated channel in in our company's Slack um, instant messaging platform oh, yeah. where anything weird we find about China, we just post it in there and we just, like, have a moment's silence almost. Like, <laughs> just to think, oh, man, this is... And, you know, like, technology is so good, but I just, I just fear that we're... 
yeah like just going out like i i i personally like have um downgraded my phone i don't know whether i showed you my phone when i was doing the the, the training in Exeter. Oh, i think you did yeah right right i think you made a point of it as well so, so like in terms yeah. of like distractions the time that i spend with my wife you know i don't want my phone going off to say uh facebook saying like jonah there's an event near you that's happening and a few of your friends are going you know i don't want that notification you know? yeah. update your latest location settings like that's not a notification uh, that's yeah. them trying to steal my data and so yeah like i've downgraded to this brick phone like it, it can't even have it doesn't have the internet doesn't have bluetooth it literally calls and texts mate that's what you need oh my god i sound old uh, no like, <laughs> sounds, I, I, sounds so old I'm 24 years old, right? I, <laughs> I I am young, and I've like I just been trying to be more serious about like enjoying life and not being hooked to technology. But I just I just I, you know when I was kind of a teenager and stuff, you know, I really really like had like a bad stint with kind of the internet world and making friends online and yeah, trying to yeah. just just lonely. I think as a teenager and. I didn't find it. I, I just didn't find connection with people that lasted over long relationship. Yeah, uh, it, yeah. It's super, it's super weird, man. I know what you mean. I mean, I would love to delete Instagram and Facebook and all sorts, but I'm kind of running this podcast. I'm well promoting it through it, so it, it, it's a bit annoying. But I know what you mean, and it's quite sneaky as well of Facebook because. I don't know how it's happened. You know, I've changed my settings and notif um, notifications so many times. But I get notifications that pop up on the home screen when it's someone's birthday, when someone's posted something who hasn't posted in a while, yeah. when, you know, someone's liked someone else's post. And it's just, it's a bit cringe and a bit beggy that, yeah. you know, Facebook obviously wanted you to spend as much time on, on the channel as possible. It's, <clears throat> I don't know, man, it seems to like got to the point now where it's so money driven it's sort of losing it's devaluing the platform i think if you think of like where it was years ago yeah um, and what it was used for and stuff and then as soon as like advertising got involved that's why i'm really uh, enjoying linkedin at the minute using yes LinkedIn. same same yeah because it's like it's it's so it, it just feels pure at the minute um you know there's I... no real <laughs> do you know what i mean uh yeah like I, yeah. I do like it. Um, it's all professional pretty much. Apart from, and uh, there there's a whole Twitter page dedicated called The State of LinkedIn, which right. uh, attacks the whole sort of idea of the sort of the hustle sort of culture around like, you know, work really hard and be an entrepreneur and things like that. Um, okay. There's just loads of these articles of like people posting a photo of like a really like fancy car. And then they, you know, it's not down to me, you know, it's down to the hard work that I can have a, such a nice car as this. And it's just like pure brag post and it's just not the place for LinkedIn. But um, there's just some absolute plunkers on there. But, um, but and, and I'll, I'll, show, I'll show you the Twitter if you want. <laughs> well, so they're taking the mick out of people on LinkedIn. Is that, is that the idea yeah. of it? Yeah, yeah. Right, okay, I'm with it. <laughs> You just posted about your achievements, I guess. Yeah, well, I mean, funny. LinkedIn has changed over the last 12 months. You know, it is becoming a bit more sort of personal. People are starting to put, you know, you might get the occasional photo of them and their dog. 
um, yeah. at the very most, you know. And it, I don't think there's anything wrong with it. It's I think people just think it might be a bad thing because that's not what LinkedIn started um, yeah. as. Yeah. You know what I mean? It was kind of more of a business-minded, just post business stuff kind of thing. Whereas yeah. it's, um, it feels a bit more social now, a bit more friendly.